Take your Bibles, church, head back to Genesis 3 with me, okay? We're going to pick back up our Genesis fact or fiction series. And uh, man, this little mini-series is just so in touch with reality. I don't mean what I've written. I mean what God said is so in touch with the way the real world works. You know, some people look at the Bible and say, that's a book of ancient myths and fables and it has no relevance for today. Man, I'm telling you, you read a story like we're gonna read today and you see this is exactly what human beings are still doing and exactly what God is still doing. Now, I want us to learn a verse per chapter we're learning verse 15. It's called the Proto-Evangelium, Proto-First-Evangelium, Gospel. The first gospel, and it's God speaking to the serpent, Satan, saying, look, I'm going to bring someone through the seed of woman, that's the Virgin Mary, I'm going to bring a Messiah, and you guys are going to have a battle. And yes, you're going to hurt his heel, but he's going to hurt your head. In other words, he's going to deal you a fatal blow. What God is doing is setting the stage here for what is to come later in the Bible. So let's read it with no blanks. Then we'll throw a couple of blanks in it. I'm sure most of you know it by now. Okay, Enmity, by the way, is a word that means hostility or a tension, a barrier, if you will. And so uh, that's what we see between Satan and Christ. This, the, the things of the devil have nothing to do with the holiness of Jesus Christ. So let's read this together. You ready? I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. All right, good. Now let's do it with some blanks. You ready? I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Yeah, the seed of Satan would be all of the angels that had fallen, we call them demons today, and anyone else that's not part of the family of God are used sort of in that army of the evil one to try to draw us away from the Lord. Now let's remember our last mini-series was four messages. It was called The Slippery Slope of Sin. Let's remember those 10 D words. I said it often starts with doubt. Has God indeed said? It includes things like distortion, denial, uh, dishonesty. Now listen to my personal story today. And you'll hear a lot of these. Distortion, denial, dishonesty, deception, desire, disobedience. That's what we normally say is sin. Distension. Y'all remember the balloon? This service was funny with the balloon. Some of y'all came unglued. It was awesome. Distension, disgrace, and ultimately, what's the last D? Where does sin ultimately lead? Yeah, good, death. All right, today, the blame game. I love this mini-series. This week and next week, the blame game. Think about it. You're wearing a shirt. Then I'm giving you some true stories, by the way. Not of me, of some other people. You're wearing a shirt that needs to be ironed. Instead of taking it off, you try to iron with it on. <laughs> Guess what happens? You get burned. Shame on you, right? Oh, no, my friend. No, no, no. You sue the company who made the iron, who deserves the blame, because they should have warned you that ironing clothes while on your body is dangerous. And you win. You go to the McDonald's drive-thru. You don't want an iced coffee. You want a hot coffee. You get a hot coffee, and then you spill it on your lap. It's not your fault. McDonald's made their coffee too hot. You sue and you win. 
We live in a society where responsibility is only accepted when something goes right. Now, again, true story. A man decides to try a stunt requiring him to swallow a handful of razor blades. He ends up in the emergency room, cut all to pieces, and he gets this huge hospital bill. He takes responsibility for his stupidity, right? Wrong. He sues the hospital for radiation exposure because they had to do some x-rays, and he wins. You see, in this world, we often think we're getting smarter and smarter, but many of you have seen the meme. A few generations ago, your car owner's manual told you how to adjust the timing on the valves of the car. Today's owner's manual tells you, don't drink the battery acid out of the car battery. Things are changing, but I don't know that we're always getting smarter. It's a crazy world. You know, we had to teach our kids how to play some games. I love shoots and ladders. I love Candyland. I love Uno and Monopoly. And we taught our kids how to play all those games. Do you know a game that we did not have to teach our children how to play? The blame game. Dad, she did it. Dad, he made me do it. Dad, it wasn't me, it was them. Now, I know if I didn't have to teach my kids the blame game, you haven't had to teach your kids the blame game. And can we be honest with each other? Nobody had to teach you either. You know how to point the finger. Why? Because our first parents knew how to point the finger, and we've inherited their nature. Stand with me as we honor the reading of God's Word, starting with verse 8. I love this passage. It shows us so much about how we are after the fall. Verse 8, and they, that's Adam and Eve, heard the sound, or that Hebrew word could be translated voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. The word cool could be sort of like a, a breeze, a wind. It means that just that calm part of the day. They heard him. And Adam, again it repeats, and his wife, so Adam and Eve, hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam. Now notice that. He, he puts responsibility square on the man's shoulders here because of this idea of headship. He calls to Adam and he says to him, where are you? And so he said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid. He doesn't say because we did what you told us not to do. He says, because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? And then Adam said, uh, yes, Father, I ate from the tree you commanded me not to eat. Is that what your Bible says? Of course not. Did you eat of that tree? Uh, the man said, the woman... That woman, look, watch this. He blames her, and now he points his finger up. You gave to be with me. She gave me of the tree. Oh, and by the way, I ate. That's our pattern. Heavenly Father, thank you for this truth that's gonna smack us right in the face. Thank you, Lord, that we cannot hide from the truth, and we can play the blame game, but we're always gonna lose. Help us to take responsibility knowing that we all sin and fall short of your glory. The Bible is clear that we stumble in many ways and when we've broken just one part of your law, we have broken it all. So help us just to come clean, to be real with you, to be real with one another. This church is not some hotel for saints. 
As Vance Havner said, it is a hospital for sinners. This is a place where broken people can be made whole. But if there's anybody in this room that doesn't think they need a physician, then I feel worse for them because they just don't know how sick they are apart from Jesus. Help us to go to the great physician today to find healing for our hearts, to find hope for anything that may be dragging us down today. And help us to take responsibility so that we can walk with you every day. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, now, here's what we're going to do. When we sin, notice I don't say if we sin, when we sin, we always have to start in the right place, right? So just think about the first word of this phrase, when we sin, God. Now I'm going to show you the whole thing on the screen. But when we sin, God, start there. God, what? Comes to pursue us. But you got to start your thinking with when we sin, God. Here's the deal. When we sin, I. When we sin, I need to protect myself. I need to think of a lie. I need to make an excuse. I need to come up with some justification for why I did that. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches when we sin, God. That's where it starts. God what? God comes to pursue us. Verse 8. Then they heard the sound or the voice of the Lord God as he's walking in the garden, that's Eden, in the cool or the wind of the day, and they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. Now, when it talks about God walking, what we have here is what the Bible calls, an, uh, what theologians call in the Bible, an anthropomorphism, right? Uh, anthropology, the study of human or humankind. And so anthropomorphisms can give human characteristics to that which is divine. We heard of things like zoomorphisms that give animal characteristics. But often in the Bible, you hear things like God's face, God's back, God's hands. But you also hear things like God's wings. The Bible tells us that God is incorporeal. He doesn't have a body like you and me because he's omnipresent. And yet, there are times when we have these theophanies. Theos, God. Theophanies, these visions of God, these pictures. So Moses is using the language that he can, inspired by the Holy Spirit, to say, God has come. And he is seeking out the first two people on the planet that didn't stay in line with him very long. We don't know how long. But it doesn't seem to be all that long because they have no children yet, of course. But notice in verse 1. Go back to chapter 3, verse 1. It talks about the serpent being more cunning than the beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said? All throughout chapter 3, you hear Lord God, Lord God, Lord God. That means Yahweh Elohim. That is a covenant name for God. But the serpent doesn't use the covenant name for God. Because the serpent has no relationship with God. And so he's trying to get Eve and Adam with her to disconnect from a covenant relationship with God. And he's trying to say, oh, has God indeed said? That's the doubt part we talked about a number of weeks ago. But you see, God is walking in the garden, this common sort of form of speech in the Hebrew language. And so from a human standpoint, human standpoint, how do we talk about God interacting with us? Well, Moses here chooses to say God is coming to pursue the wayward children. This phrase in the cool of the day, ruach, it's sort of hard in this context to translate. It just means sort of that time when the the wind is blowing. It's almost a time that should be peaceful, but it's not peaceful at all. And yet we don't see the Bible saying that God came running 
And he was frantic and he was wringing his hands like, oh no, what have you done? I had no idea you'd do this. No, no, God's not panicked. And God's not panicked when you sin. God's not out of sorts. God is steadily, peacefully, lovingly coming to pursue you. You know, it's quite possible that the Hebrew language used here indicates that God is just, he's just gently calling out Adam. Adam. I don't think he's doing what we would do when a child goes missing. Hey, where are you? Where are you? No, 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 no. Adam. Adam. Now, is God calling because he doesn't really know where Adam is? Uh, no. It's rhetorical. God is omniscient. He knows all things. He, he made the trees they're hiding behind. God knows exactly where they are. But God is always the one seeking out man. He is soliciting a response from his creation that's now separated from him by sin. Do you notice this, guys? God comes asking questions, not making accusations. He comes asking questions. Adam, where are you? Adam, I can't believe what you've done. No, Adam, where are you? See, some of you this morning are not as close to God as you ought to be because you think God is just a mean old judge that just wants to squash all of your fun and just make you walk a tightrope and you will never, ever be able to have joy. <laughs> That's foolishness, utter foolishness. On that boat this week, we were with a bunch of Christians. Man, we laughed till our guts hurt. We didn't have to have all the crazy things the world says you need for fun. I, we, we just had a glorious, glorious time with people of God, talking about things of God, at working on our marriages, talking together, going through a little workbook together, and doing things that just that God says, this is good for you. There, let me give you a quote from a Baptist pastor. His name is Matt Black. I just want you to hear what, what he said. Pastor Black said, the word of God is a history of God's dealings with man. It's not a book about how much man loves God, but how God amazingly and against all human reasoning loves rebellious man. We often wonder as we read the record of the Old Testament how people could be so sinful and stiff-necked and rebellious. The amazing thing is not that people are rebellious, but that God loves the rebel. And we come to the New Testament and we find this same love demonstrated in the central event of human history. Both Jews and Gentiles rejected the Lord of glory by crucifying him on a cross. And in man's greatest rejection of God, he makes his strongest love statement. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And then he said, it is finished. What is finished? The restoration that I came to bring for mankind. I paid their price. Sin deserved death, but I paid it. And I paid it all. And God's love is open to mankind, justice complete. And we see God's perfect holiness and justice combined with God's perfect love at Calvary. Christ drank every drop from the cup of God's wrath. And God's anger against man's sin is satisfied forever. And even in man's greatest hatred of God, God is still pursuing man. Think about that for a second, church. I wrote it like this. When we sin, we're not pursuing God. At least I'm not. I know when I sin, my first inclination most of the time is not to go to God, though I should. However, the Lord begins calling and coming after us. God is pursuing us. And if it were not for God's concern, we would all be forsaken. We would never seek to reconcile with God. 
But God, God is calling for some of us today just like he was calling for Adam. He made man in perfect innocence. But when Adam and Eve forfeited their relationship with God, we find that God himself, not Adam, was the reconciler. See, some of y'all are thinking, I'll go to God when I get ready. No, you won't. I thought that too. But God had to use other things and people and circumstances in my life and his word and his spirit to draw me back because in my nature, I wasn't running after God. I was running after other things. You remember John 1? In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. That's Jesus. Do you remember John 1:14? And the word became Flesh, incarnate in Greek, incarnate. He became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus Christ literally pitched his tent, tabernacled, the language is, among us because he knew we couldn't go where God was, so he came where we are. And he paid the price we couldn't pay because God is in Christ reconciling the world to himself. That's 2 Corinthians 5. And Romans 3 says there's none righteous, no, not one. None who understands, none who seeks after God. Paul just pulls that right out of the Psalms. And if you've fallen in sin today, and all of us have, let me give you something for your notes. You don't have to sit here wondering what do I have to do to get right with God. That's a horrible thing to wonder. What do I have to do to get right with God? No, the Lord is actively, lovingly pursuing you. Y'all remember what I've told you before about do versus done? People have always tried to tell me, basically all religions are the same. All the world religions are God or the gods are on the mountain and there are multiple paths around the mountain. That's called Oprah theology. And you just choose your path and you'll eventually get to God or the gods. (laughs) There's a Greek word for that. Baloney, okay? No, that is just not true. The reality is the God on high had to come down where we are. And the reality is that God came to us to pay the price we couldn't pay. And so what we find is that God is the one pursuing, and that's why it's do versus done. All these other religions say, do this and you might be right with God. Do that and you might be right with God. Make your sacrifice like those little idols we see in India. Go give your bananas. Go give your cookies. Go give your milk. Go give these things to the gods or to God. Pray enough, read this enough, go there enough, do that. Don't do this, and God may accept you. But the God of the Bible says no. What needs to happen for you to be right with me has already been done. So all you do is accept it. You know, when we got the call about this trip, we knew that with our schedule and our finances, our son, we just got him a truck. He's just about to turn 16. Lord, help pray for us. And so... We knew where we were with everything. Holly just finished from UT. We just wrote the last check, praise God. And then another one's coming. And we got all these things. We knew this was going to be, uh, this wouldn't work for our family. But between the McRoys, as I said, and some others, and a family who came along in our church, they said, we want this to be a blessing to you. And you know what we said? Thank you very much. We'll take your blessing. (laughs) We really appreciate it. Because sometimes, you know, the Lord is working through someone to say, I recognize you can't do that on your own, but I'm going to be a blessing to you. Well, this is our salvation, folks. He says, you can't do this on your own. I pay the price. You reap the benefit. You take the blessing. But the truth is, even if it were offered, Cindy and I could have said, no, thank you. We had that right. You know that. 
would have been mighty dumb, but we had the right to say, no, nah, we don't want to go sailing the British Virgin Islands for a week. That sounds terrible. I mean, that would have been a really ignorant response. That was one week. What about people that say, nah, golden streets, mansions, glory forever, no pain, no sorrow, feasting at God's table, being with loved ones in Christ that have gone before, worshiping and serving the Lord on a new heavens and new earth. No thanks. I'd rather be tormented alone in the flames of hell forever. Are you crazy? And yet, every day, people say no thanks because they don't understand do versus done. The Lord wants you to know he's here with outstretched arms. I mean, you remember the story of the prodigal, the prodigal that went out and wasted the father's inheritance, the the prodigal that came to his senses and said, I'm going to go and be a servant in my father's house. And you remember as he's going back home, the Bible says in Luke 15 that the father who had done no wrong saw the son far off and he ran to embrace his son and he didn't shake him and say, boy, what have you done? He said, my son who was lost is found. The one in a far country has come home. Now let's have a party. If some of y'all don't want a party, then some of you aren't gonna be ready for heaven because I'm telling you, we're gonna have a party up there, y'all. And some of y'all Baptists that like to be real quiet, And you're like, oh, Lord, they'll think I'm a Pentecostal. You're going to be uncomfortable in glory if you don't get right. Chorito, they need to take a lesson from you, honey. Come on. Thank you. You can raise a hand in a Baptist church, can't you? Y'all like, oh, he'll strike me dead. No, he won't. Lift up your hands, you people. Clap your hands. Man, I'm telling you, we have got some of this stuff upside down This relationship that God wants us is a relationship that he always initiates with us. Now, I'm going to tell you a story. I wasn't the greatest kid in middle school. You're going to find that shocking, I know. But I was pretty rotten for several years. And a lot of that, you know, who you hang around and what you do. But see, it's easy for me to say it was those guys. No, I was a ringleader, too. And so me and my buddy John, who I like to get in trouble with the most, we were behind the barn Papa and my dad had built. And I've told y'all parts of things like this before, but this particular day, we were back there with some cigarettes and we were doing what I think 12-year-old boys do. We were thinking we were big time, smoking them up and hacking all the way. My dad came home early from work that day. I have no idea why my dad came home early from work. My dad never came home early from work. But I think just to, to um, teach me a valuable life lesson that I to this day have not forgotten, I heard my father's voice. Bobby, where are you? I'm sure he wanted to mow or do something outside. Now, what do you think I did? Come be bopping around the barn with a cigarette. What's up, pops? How you doing, man? You think that's what I did? Put him out, put him out, put him out. Because point number two, when we sin, we often try to hide from God. Am I the only one that's ever tried to hide when doing wrong? Am I the only one? Oh, some of y'all, go ahead and write it down. I thought some of y'all ain't even looking me in the eye. Okay, that's because you're writing, I get it. I thought, man, we got like 300 guilty people in the room right now. No, am I the only one that's tried to hide from God? Has anybody else ever sinned and tried to hide it? You don't normally want to parade it, do you? Okay, so we're all in this together. When we sin, God comes to pursue us, but we're hiding. Remember a guy named Jonah? God said, go here. Where'd he go? He went there. 
He went down into the ship. Could God find him in the belly of the ship? Yeah, because yeah, God could find him in the belly of the fish. God could find him anywhere. In fact, God sent him there because God knows where we are. It's so silly to try to hide from my father. So I'm trying to hide from my dad. Shh. John, you got to get your bike, man. Because we rode everywhere on bikes. We were nuts back then. And guess what? We didn't wear helmets <laughs> or pads or anything else. Our kids did. <laughs> put them up. Put them out. Get out of here. Get out of here. But like Adam and Eve, we begin to play this dangerous game of hide and seek that we cannot win because the Father's going to keep calling. Actually, I would call this a game of seek and hide. This was really a game of seek and hide. If you look at eight again, it says, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden. See, God's seeking already. God's seeking already, verse eight. And it says, and they hid themselves, seek and hide. Now, God, of course, is not ignorant of Adam and Eve's location. He's not saying, Adam, where are you? I have no clue. My father, on the other hand, was not omniscient. He really wanted to know, where was I? School's out. You're supposed to be home. Probably we're ready to work in the garden or we're ready to mow the grass or we're ready to do something. I've come home early today. Where is my boy? But God didn't ask because he didn't know. He has unlimited knowledge. So his question is rhetorical. He's not unaware of where you are today. But the passage describes God as a parent instructing his children for restoration as a purpose. And he doesn't even question the serpent. Did you notice that? He curses the serpent. We'll get to that later. But he doesn't question the serpent. Why? Because he's not seeking restoration of relationship with the serpent. Satan's already made his choice, rebelled against God, and been cast away. God's not seeking restoration with the serpent, but he is seeking restoration with Adam and Eve and you and me. Now imagine the conversation. I want you to think, what would it have been like? Adam. Where are you? Here I am, Father. Well, well, come on out here. I want to see you. Uh, I can't come out right now. Oh, you can't? No, I can't come out right now. Well, why? Well, uh, 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 because I'm naked. <laughs> well, yeah. Okay. You were naked yesterday. Adam, you were naked the day before that. So was Eve. That's the way I made you. Adam, that's called your birthday suit. That's, that's what I made you for. Yeah, yeah, but, 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 but I'm naked. And he didn't say, he didn't say I ate. I'm ashamed. I disobeyed. I'm sorry for what I did. He said, I'm naked. Oh, sorry. Wait, wait, wait. Some of y'all, y'all East Tennessee. Y'all don't know what I'm talking about. Naked. <laughs> naked. Some of y'all were going, what is he saying? Naked. Now is everybody with me? I got to keep going. Okay. Okay, I'm going to keep going. So Adam and Eve, they're naked. No, whoa, wait, back up. Whoa, Adam. Naked? Where did you hear that you were naked? I didn't tell you that. That's never been part of the conversation. It was simply a reality. Who told you that? You know, it's interesting how kids change when they get older. When they're little, they just run up with abandon. Drop your kindergartner off at school. The backpack's bigger than they are. They get out of school. They come running. Mommy, Daddy, they don't look around. They don't give a lick. They don't care a hoot about who else is looking, right? Does that still work for a 13-year-old? Not quite. Most of the time, they're like, up, oh, Pops, how you doing? And they keep going. 
I was so happy last night because I knew this was coming. I was so happy that after our kids had gone to camp, some of them helping, some of them as participants, then another week where one of our kids helped at children's camp. We had not seen them for a while. We had been out suffering for Jesus in the British Virgin Islands. And we come home late, late last night. I was so happy that our kids at least seemed genuinely happy to see us. I mean, 15, 17, 22, all kind of hugging and, hey, it's good to see you before we fly right back out in a few hours and who knows what may happen at the house. But they, they were genuinely happy to see us. I was glad because I came back and said last night in my notes, I wasn't going to tell y'all if they didn't want to see us, but they were like, hey, it's good to see you again. And we caught up on some things and gave them a few things we got for them and just, it was great to know that they're not worried about what other people think, but sometimes as we age... We can find distance where that innocence is lost. What's happened here is sin has aged Adam and Eve. And the innocence now is really lost. Bobby, Bobby, come on. Where are you? I finally came slumping out from behind the barn. And I met my dad on the back porch. He took me into the kitchen and he said, what have you been doing? <laughs> now that's a long time ago and I cannot tell you what I said, but I can tell you what I didn't say. I did not say, oh, me and John were just lighting up a few behind the barn. You cool? I did not say that. And then he stared at me point blank and he said, have you been smoking? Hmm. Well, a 12-year-old boy doesn't know that the stench of sin is all over him. And we typically don't go around with Altoids in our pockets. Right? 12-year-old boys smell of B.O. and Axe body spray. Sorry, 12-year-old boys. Reality check. Now, when he says, have you been smoking, does anybody want to take a guess at what my answer was? No. Not me. I haven't been doing it. And then the death nail question to end all questions. You know what he asked me, dude? Let me smell your breath. That's not a great question. And of course, it was obvious that my father really knew probably all along as soon as John is hightailing it on his bike that way and I'm coming up slumping to the back porch, he knows these goofballs are at it again. And it was going to be ugly, and it was. And I thank God it was. I praise God I had a dad that loved me enough to say, that's not right for this family. That's not good for your body. The hiding and the lies are not good for your soul. And we had a little laying on a hand ceremony, y'all. And it was wonderful. For him. And if you're so woke that you don't like that, that's okay. Go back and read Proverbs again and take it up with the Lord. Because the Bible says if you spare the rod, you actually don't spoil your child. You hate your child. That being said, my father corrected me not to make me miserable, but to make me better, to stop hiding and face the truth. And I know one of the things I said, though I don't remember detail, was John, 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 John. John brought him. John was smoking. <clears throat> Do we ever try to diversify? 
so that our sin, the spotlight's not so bright on me. But, 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 but everybody's doing it. I, I didn't have them. He had them. Do you think the Father cares? Hmm. Not so much. God wants to reinstate the relationship. And the punishment my father gave, just like the punishment I give in such imperfect ways. But our perfect heavenly father says, Adam, where art thou? Though you've sinned and though you're deserving of my wrath, though you have offended me, I am calling and coming after you because I want things back together. I don't want you to hide. I could just leave you out there forever separated from me. And in those moments where we've been busted, sometimes we just want to stay there. But you can't stay behind the barn forever. You can't live behind the barn. Because you want to live in the Father's house. You want to be in his presence. Justice calls for you to be consumed by wrath. But the grace of God says, I'm here to give you another chance. But now, thus saith the Lord that created thee, O Jacob, and formed thee, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed thee. I have called thee by name, for thou art mine. See, my daddy kept loving me because I was his. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all ye who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Don't run from me. Come to me as I pursue you. Isaiah 1, 18. Come now. Let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though red as crimson, they shall be like wool. There is nothing you've done. I, 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 I don't want to hear that, Pastor. You're talking about smoking cigarettes as a little kid. You have no idea what I've done. But I know a guy named David. I know a dude named Moses. I know a lady named Rahab. I know a lady named Gomer. Aren't you glad your parents didn't name you that biblical name? I know a guy named Paul, Saul. I reckon most of y'all haven't murdered. I reckon most of y'all haven't done some of the things some of God's greatest warriors actually did before the good Lord got a hold of them. I want to close with this. See, God promises us forgiveness and redemption, but Adam did at least two things wrong following his choice to sin. Number one, first, he tried to hide from his father rather than facing the truth. When we go to Anaheim this afternoon, we're going to be dealing with a sexual abuse task force report for the next several days. Again, as I represent you and as we represent Tennessee Baptist and our national convention, some of the problem in this is those who have tried to cover over rather than expose and get to the bottom. Do you think covering over a problem is ever going to solve it? Or do we need to rip the band-aids of sin away and say, here's the problem, this is the infection, let's dig this out so that healing can begin? Adam tried to hide from his father rather than facing the truth. You know, because his fear drove him from God rather than to God. And some of you think, you don't know what I've done. My spouse doesn't know what I've done. My parents don't know what I've done. I can't possibly tell them. Listen to me, young people. Listen to me, spouses. Listen to me, precious senior saints. It doesn't matter. At some point, you've got to stop and say you're only digging the hole deeper and making it worse because everything done in the dark, the Bible says in John 3, everything done in the dark will be brought to the light. And some of these folks in the SBC are now realizing that. Second, 
Adam tried to blame his spouse and, of course, God. Now, we're going to come back to that next week. But he says, Lord, the woman you gave me, her and you, y'all are the problem. Y'all are the problem. What Adam and Eve have in common is their refusal to accept personal responsibility. Again, that's where we'll start. Can you, let's just do this. Can you hide, I'm just going to scan the room. You don't have to write anything now, right? Y'all get it all? Everybody have time? I don't know if y'all are ashamed or if y'all are really taking notes. I can't tell. All right here. Everybody get it? Watch this. Now don't leave. This is good. Can you hide anything from the Lord? Can you? This means yes. This means no. Can you hide anything from the Lord? Okay. All right. So let's try a little exercise. Are you ready? I promise I didn't put a rat trap or anything under your seat. I've hidden something in the worship center. It's under one of your seats. It's been there the whole time. I want you to reach under and find it. And then pull out the, you'll find a tube. Just reach under. Some of y'all are scared to death. Just reach under. And then when you find the tube, pull out the paper and raise it up. Ah! Can you read it really loud for us? So she just read Hebrews 4.13. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. You can have that. It's for you. Cindy will be glad to sign it if you want her to. Okay. <laughs> Thank you for doing that. Now, I knew second row, third seat in. How did I know? Because Karen told me that's where she put it. Okay. <laughs> so that's how I knew. But truth is... I wrote that, I typed it on my computer, I printed it over here on one of the laser printers in the office uh, a few weeks ago in preparation for this. We talked about it, we prepared it, she said, I know where I'm gonna put the chair, I'll tell you when you get there. She and I knew, you know, she was lying about looking for her glasses earlier, but she's repented, okay? <laughs> she was putting it in your seat when you were there. But she did that for me because I wanted to show you that that was there all along. It's been sitting there in that tube it was a very clean toilet paper tube you just touched, so just so that you know. It's been sitting there the whole time. Now, can I ask you a question? Get real with the answer. What are you trying to hide under your chair? That's metaphorical, don't reach under again. What are you trying to hide under your chair? And is that foolish or what? I've done it. Many, 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 many times, more times than I can count. I gave you one story of at least a thousand. And the point is I never want to glory in the sin. I want to glorify the Savior just like my father gave me another chance and helped me seek reconciliation and restoration to do the right thing. I want you to lay it before the Lord today. I want you to go to whoever it may be that it would affect and impact. And some of you that just, you just need to come clean. See, part of what camp is so good about is getting kids away to just lay some stuff down. Just lay it down before the omniscient, omnipresent eyes of the Lord. What I'm saying is this it's not their fault, it's not his fault. Take responsibility today. And stop playing the blame game. Stand with me. And as Melissa comes...
Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. I'm going to ask you to do something for me. <clears throat> you may not know a lot about the Southern Baptist Convention, about polity and all of that. We're a voluntary church in this convention of churches. There's no authority over us. But would some of you be willing to pray this week that God would just reveal the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? That when we gather as a convention in California and we get together and we talk through the issues at hand, that number one, we'd keep the gospel front and center, that there would be gospel restoration, but that we would have the truth. Some of you that maybe know something about the convention or a little bit more about what's going on, if you would be willing to come and pray for that, would you please do that? Secondly, would you be willing, if there's somebody maybe in your life, your family, you know they're struggling with something, a sin that has so easily ensnared them, would you come again and would you say, God, would you give them the spirit to stop pointing fingers and blaming? Because you know somebody. You absolutely know somebody that's always pointing away from themselves. What's that old saying, though? When I point the finger, I have at least three pointing back at me. Would you lay them before God and say, God, please, please help them open their eyes or their heart? Maybe you could say that about yourself, too. The altar's going to be open. If you would pray for the state of our convention, if you would pray for those who are maybe trying to play this game, nobody ever wins the blame game. Ever. Thank you so much for watching us today. God is doing absolutely amazing things in and through our Grace Baptist Church family. If you'd like to share anything the Lord is doing in your life, feel free to reach out to us through our website or our app. And if you're ever in the Knoxville area, come by and worship with us and our family of faith here at Grace Baptist Church.